Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is New York Times best-selling author Martha Wells. She is the author of the Hugo and Nebula Award-winning Murderbot Diaries, the latest volume of which is Fugitive Telemetry, published by our friends at Tor. Com. Martha, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And first, Martha, congratulations on your new book deal. Um, I know that we were very excited to see that news come through here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was excited about it too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, absolutely. And before we dive into your books, Martha, I want to ask, how have you been doing this past year and a half? And how is your approach to marketing this novel different than the approach you have been able to take in the past? Um, mostly last year, most of last year was not very great. I had writer's block for about six months, um, starting around March when um, the pandemic hit. I was actually on the Joko cruise when we got the news. Um, before that, you know, I don't think people thought it was going to be that serious i think people thought it was going to be bad but but not as nearly as bad as it got um so yeah and i actually i've been trying to start another murderbot novel or another novella at that time and just ended up having to stop because just um they're very difficult to write anyway just because of the logistics of uh murderbot's voice and everything but yeah, I just couldn't concentrate. And I probably have like four or five false starts that are just a mess. <laughs> so six months in, and finally I was able to start something, but it's a new fantasy novel. And that's actually the first fantasy novel that's going to be on the new uh, contract with tour.com. Yeah, excellent. And um, where was the cruise that you were on? when you It's heard? the Joko cruise. It's... Um, uh, Jonathan Colton and uh, Paul and Storm and um, uh, so it's music and gaming and writing. Um, there's uh, John Scalzi was there and N.K. Jemison and Rebecca Roanhorse. Um, and, you know, we did there were all kinds of different, you know, concerts and um, writing events with panels and uh, signings and everything and, and comedians and and just all kinds of stuff. Um, and it's a cruise for basically uh, science fiction and fantasy and gaming and music fans. And um, it's a lot of fun. It was, I was, it was nice to do it right before everything shut down because then we had some really good memories to kind of carry us through. Yeah, um, absolutely. That sounds like a really good time. And you know, Martha, um, a six month writer's block, which for you, I'm sure seems terrible for most people um, when they, who are suffering like six gear uh, writer's blocks. That um, <laughs> sounds like not too bad. I'm glad that you got through it. Um, and I look forward to reading that fantasy novel. But now let's talk about these excellent books in the Murderbot series. Um, there is a quote in the first book of this series, All Systems Read, from the perspective of Murderbot. And that quote is, I hated having emotions about reality. I'd much rather have them about Sanctuary Moon. And Martha, for our listeners who don't know Murderbot, can you tell us how this quote explains and encompasses this character, Murderbot? Yeah, Murderbot um, 
is a, a sec unit, which is a part AI, part um, human neural tissue um, uh, construct. Um, it's been enslaved. It's had a governor module that basically controlled every action. Um, when it freed itself, uh, one of the things it did was um, access the the media and shows and everything that were available on the, the, the different company feeds that were out there, which is basically like our version of, you know, their version of our internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it used those, those TV shows basically to help contextualize its emotions. Um, so uh, it does like humans, but it likes ima- the imaginary humans on TV on its, on its, on its shows a lot better than the actual humans it interacts with, most of which were, you know, treated it as an object um, or a tool or just something to something disposable. Um, and it's got a lot of feelings about that. Um, and then the whole point of the series is basically um, one of the things that happens is it learns to uh, uh, actually establish real relationships with um the humans who help it uh, at the beginning in the, in the first novella. So that's what that's about, really. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Martha. And we'll talk some more about these entertainments. Uh, but first, um, doesn't really do much uh, murdering. There are illusions in the series of, you know, um, murders that were wiped from Murderbot's memory. Uh, there is a great scene early on in the series when someone discovers that this sec unit refers to itself as Murderbot. And Murderbot becomes embarrassed uh, because this name Murderbot was supposed to be private. Um, what does this tell us about this character uh, and that the sec unit is referring to itself as Murderbot? Is this much different than, say, uh, a toddler referring to themselves as Spider-Man <laughs> or something like that? Um not really, because what Murderbot's thinking of is um, the incident before it hacked its governor module. When uh, the, you know this is described in artificial, the second uh, novella, artificial, artificial condition, mm-hmm. where uh, there was a bad software download and it caused uh, this incident in a mining colony, which caused the, all the sec units to basically and just almost every other. Um, machine in the in the colony to just go um go mad and uh attack the humans and each other and that's the incident that's what murderbot comes from um murderbot's a derogatory term basically for a sec unit and when you start reading artificial condition that's what you thought think murderbot's referring to and it's actually referring to the fact that it's taken that name for itself Mm. um as a reminder, I mean, I don't think it it really analyzed the reason why it took that name, but it's a, definitely a reminder of what happened and what it's capable of. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Martha. Um, I want to talk about the fact that Murderbot loves watching these uh, serial television series or entertainment some more. We learned that other um, bots are constructs like watching these entertainments as well. Much of the second novel does deal with that. Um, is the implication that robots have feelings or that humanity is inventing these machines or units or constructs that are able to adapt in such a way that they can be entertained by what they are displaying or neither or both? 
Well, uh, it's kind of both because they they do. Um, Murderbot is different from the the bot pilots and um, the other bots that it encounters. It's kind of a different kind of of construction and mm. art that uh, the sentient spaceship it meets in artificial condition is another is another iteration of that. Um, the bots, Murderbot has this a little bit, but the bots are particularly, and even art are particularly focused on their purpose, what they were designed to do. And I think the thing that they would get out of the entertainment is like art wants to watch shows about ships, people in ships, ships doing things. And so that's kind of what it really does. They're, they're finding stuff that really does play into their worldview of uh, what they're there for. Um, Murderbot's tastes are a lot more eclectic because it doesn't have that kind of tie to it's what it was constructed for that they do. Um, it does find it keeps wanting to, once it's free, that it still wants to do things. It still wants to do security. It wants to protect people. Um, but yeah, that's what that attraction is to a large extent. Yeah. And then Murderbot, just like, that's how Murderbot is experiencing learning about the world. So that's why it, it likes a much different variety of things than the others do. Yeah, and spinning off of this answer, Martha, um, Murderbot, as you're saying, does adapt in such a way uh, that its behavior is based on the behavior it observes on these entertainment programs. Is this really so different than what anyone does aren't many of us exhibiting behaviors that we learn on television and the internet and to kind of flesh this question out a little bit what do you think is the behavior of an adult individual let's say an american adult individual that has never seen television or the internet do these people exist outside of uh tight-knit religious communities and the like uh well i um i think it is the same when Murderbot watches uh tv there's a lot of us who grew up kind of isolated where that was tv was teaching us how to behave in groups and how to have friends and what what a a good friendship and what a good family should look like how what those those interactions should look like um for a lot of people tv families are where they learned what a functional family was supposed to be um, um you know the people talk about um how important Mr. Rogers was to them because for teaching basically that, you know, people were supposed to be nice to you. People weren't supposed to treat you badly and that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, I think it's the same. I don't know. I, I know there are people who are just not who, who, and I think there's actually quite a lot of people who will completely dismiss the whole idea that, um, entertainment media has any kind of influence on them whatsoever. And if they does have an, in, and they believe if it does have an influence on anyone, it's a bad influence. Mm. And unless something is basically, you know, meant to be a teaching document in some way, whether it's, you know, nonfiction, that's something that's meant to basically teach you directly. It does, but nothing else can have any impact, which is just kind of weird to me because, Humans are storytelling creatures and we absorb a lot of information from storytelling and all through our history, stories are used to teach, you know, kids what to do, what's dangerous, what's not, you know, and, and everything else. So, yeah, it's a really kind of a weird idea, but um, I mean, as a, 
someone who's been, you know, uh, I've been a writer since the early nineties and I, and I've also been a huge fan of TV and movies and just the whole idea that, um, because I'm a writer, uh, because I books are very important to me, I should just eschew TV and movies completely because that's just so beneath me. And it's like, you know, they're all storytelling. They're just different forms of storytelling. And, and um, I guess it's the, sort of the same thing as the people who look down on graphic novels because they've got pictures. <laughs> it's just, it's like when you break it down, it just seems very silly to um, condemn a whole branch of storytelling uh, that humanity has always had because, you know, it's, 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 it's got art on it <laughs> or something. It's just very strange, but uh, yeah, that does happen. Yeah, I agree. And the same with, with video games at the North Carolina book festival, we often have a track just based on folks who, who write video games because those are these immersive storytelling devices that to me are no different than cinema um, literature, especially the, there are some video games to me that are just as great as fantastic works of literature. Exactly. That's kind of like, they're kind of like a, a visual novel that you can move around in and see different parts of the story, depending on what you want to do i mean that's incredibly cool and yeah they're getting all the flack now that that movies got when they first appeared and then tv shows got and then and then comics got and so yeah yeah absolutely well thank you so much martha listeners we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor and then i will be right back with martha wells the Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin', B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Martha Wells, author of Fugitive Telemetry, the latest installment of the Murderbot Diaries, which is published by our friends at Tord.com. Martha, can you tell our listeners about Mensa um, and specifically her concern for Murderbot as an individual versus Murderbot as a security unit? Yeah, Mensa comes from a culture where... Um... The whole idea, you know, it's it's a non-corporate culture and the whole idea of the corporations and the way they will not only enslave contract, constructs, but um, enslave uh, their employees as indentured servants is just absolutely horrific. And um, so, but she's doesn't know very much about the sec units. You know, she knows what they are in their regards, but the idea that um, they're actually um, individuals who um, have enough cognition and sentience to make their own decisions. And, and that's kind of how they have to be in order to operate the way they're, they're required to operate. Um, she's kind of never made the connection between the fact that, um, yes, there's still a person in there. This is not a person that's been turned into a machine. This is a person who's part machine and part human. 
So she comes into it, uh, I think, with a preconceived idea. And as soon as Murderbot kind of has to drop, um, drop its act, basically, in order to rescue um, the two scientists who are attacked, and she sees it's capable of conversation and everything and realizes we've, we've been completely wrong about this. this. There is still a person in there. Um, and that's when she, um, she basically has been, you know, kind to Murderbot, but she's kind to it as basically a, um, as a machine when she realizes it's still um, how, how much of a person it is. She starts trying to interact with it like she would any other member of her team, mm. um, which is not something Murderbot's ever had happened to it before. Um, and so there's quite a, um, a learning curve there for her and all the other, the human characters about what sec units are and um, what their place is in this corporate, uh, this corporate world and how horrible it is. And um, trying to figure out how to help Murderbot specifically and what to do about it. And just in the situation they're in, there's not much they can do about the overall situation. Um, but they can help Murderbot. Right. So in the world that these novels and novellas take place in, is this an issue of machine rights? Murderbot is half organic, uh, even if the organic material is cloned, grown, harvested, whatever, versus being born as um, a human in a natural birth. Does Mensa think, and um, maybe even pushing outside of the novel, do you think any sentient being should be granted the same rights as humans, whether they are robots, clones, etc. cetera. Um, we already know that Murderbot is self-propelled enough to hack its own governance module. Yeah, I, I think they should. If it's, if it's sentient, it's sentient, it's sentient, it's sentient basically. Um, in the world of the book, uh, the problem with Murderbot is um, in preservation where Mensa and the others come from, uh, there are rights for bots. Bots can only be can't be um, treated badly. They have they have certain rights that they're um, uh, they're allowed to pick their jobs, that kind of thing. Um, but Murderbot kind of fills in falls into a category between human and bot that there's not a, a lot of legal protection for, and that's mm -hmm. one of the things that kind of comes up when Murderbot goes to preservation. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's meant to be a very difficult problem, and it's meant to for the reader to think about as watching the characters try to handle this. It's not it's not a thing with easy answers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, Martha. Thank you so much. Um, I want to switch gears for a moment and talk about um, some of this programming again. What is it about Sanctuary Moon that Murderbot finds so endearing and is there a future world in which readers can view an episode of Sanctuary Moon? <laughs> um, Murderbot likes it. It was the first one it found, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, Sanctuary Moon, in my head, is based on kind of like how to get away with murder, the, mm -hmm. the TV drama, and except it's set in space where... Um, it would be sort of a space adventure, except it's just continually getting interrupted with all these interpersonal conflicts and everything that all the characters are, are having. And so uh, I think the thing that really caught Murderbot about it, besides it just being the first one, is watching all these different humans have these really um, 
terrible problems in a lot of way and all these difficult issues that they had to deal with and being able to deal with them. And sort of the idea that you can have, you can be angry and you can be so upset and you can have all these feelings and yet work through it and, um, and interact with all these humans and everything and everything and, and just keep going. So that's kind of, um, that's kind of one of the things that caught it, caught Murderbot's attention. And just also the fact that it was the first one mm-hmm. and it's, and it's kind of special to it that way. I don't know if we'll ever be able to see like a, a, a section, like a, a, a glimpse of a Sanctuary Moon episode. I hope so in the future, if uh, Murderbot is ever actually made into a TV series or something, that would be very cool. That would be very cool. Thank you so much, Martha. Um, one moment that I found uh, in this newest novel, Fugitive Telemetry, uh, that hit home with me was when Murderbot was forced to join uh, or to make a feed ID so that people would know um, that this sort of freed sec unit existed. And Murderbot didn't want to because having no feed ID was the equivalent of saying, don't interact with me. Uh, And Murderbot does not want to interact with anyone. This is an aspect of Murderbot's personality that a lot of Murderbot fans identify with, the lack of desire to interact with people. but all of these people I know who identify with this are very active on Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. How is the feed ID like social media? And why are these things, these accounts or profiles seen as open signals that one wants to be interacted with? Well, the way it normally works, and of course, it's there's a lot of different cultures that make up the corporation rim and um and to some extent preservation as well. So there, there'd be different, different rules kind of for different places. But mm-hmm. when you move through, say, Corporation Rim um, uh, space station or, term- or port terminal, uh, you'll be interacting the stores, uh, the kiosks that sell stuff, the ticket booths or whatever would all kind of interact with you through your feed. So mm-hmm. your feed ID would be um, almost like your like for us, our driver's license or credit card when we're having to go buy things and and do all this stuff. And when we go to the airport and have to go through all this. Um, So it'd be very important part of your identity in some ways. Um, So they would be used for social media too. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Some of your social media would be more important, like for your job. Um, I haven't shown because Murderbot doesn't like that idea. It, it, yeah, right. it uses a social media thing for a little bit in artificial condition in order to get um, the job so it can get down to the mining colony mm-hmm. um, to do its investigation. Um, but it, the idea of interacting uh, with humans and social media is not something it's particularly interested in. Mm-hmm. The only thing it would like about social media was any opportunity to go find um, new shows or books or, or, or something like that to download. Um, so for Murderbot, that's kind of never been a consideration. For other people, it would be. And I don't know if you would ever be in a situation like we are where you would have like one ID on one system and be a different person on another. Um, I think in the way the corporation rim is structured, you wouldn't be able to do that um, for yourself in person since your feed ID is so much a part of of who you are and your kind of your your public um persona and everything 
but there could be, you know, other like kind of social media stuff where people pretend to be different people and that kind of thing. And everyone knows that's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that, um, that having a, a profile on, on the feed ID signals that you are to be interacted with is interesting to me because, you know, even thinking about Facebook or something, I hate Facebook, um, but <laughs> they have too. their, yeah, but they have their system set up in such a way that for you to do uh, marketing, which, you know, for my job is necessary, you have to have a personal profile yeah. in order to manage these business profiles. Um, and in no way am I signaling by having a personal profile that I desire to be interacted with yeah. <laughs> on Facebook, well, but you have to. And the thing about the having the feed ID on president, that's specifically mm -hmm. a preservation thing. It's yeah. basically because they don't use the feed IDs quite the way that the corporation RIM does. It is more like a mm -hmm. social media thing. So just mm -hmm. turning off your feed ID is just a way of saying, you know, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't want to talk right now. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something. I'm busy or whatever. So um, that's a really a preservation specific thing. I'm not sure the corporation rim would allow people to do that, right. to have a way to just kind of like, at least not unless they were a very high up corporate, you know, the head power basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, such interesting things to think about. Thank you, Martha. Um, finally, I do want to ask you um, to talk about as much as you can the future of the Murderbot Diaries. And I know you have done a bit of maneuvering around the timeline, which is to say the books haven't necessarily been released chronologically. Uh, with the next releases, will we be moving forward or backward in time? Hopefully forward. Um, Fugitive Telemetry was kind of... Um, uh, a surprise to me because I didn't really intend to go backward, but I was mm -hmm. trying to play around with what I wanted to do next. And I just, you know, was having trouble getting started. And so I just sat down and wrote Murderbot standing in a space station, seeing a, a dead human body and then kept working on it. And went, Oh, this is going to be, I, I like this. I like this. Where is this? Is good. Where, I like where this is going. And so I decided to set it before network effect because of that scene in network effect where um, Murderbot shows, I believe it's Thiago, a video of uh, stopping an assassination attempt on Dr. Mensa, where it's working with station security. And I thought that would be really cool to show how that relationship developed, because obviously it was probably pretty rocky at the start. And so that's where fugitive telemetry came from. It wasn't planned like that. You know, it just kind of it just kind of happened. And this is really a story that I need to tell. So hopefully the next uh, it should be two novellas and a novel, I think. Mm -hmm. And hopefully they'll go forward because that's kind of always been my intentions. I wanted to do a story that started up where network effect left off and what happened next. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Martha. And thank you for writing these wonderful books. I know I am not alone in stating that I can't wait to see what comes next. Oh, Listen thank you. Yeah, absolutely, Martha. Thank you. And also um, I'm very much looking forward to the fantasy books that you were writing. Oh, yeah. Um, listeners, I have been speaking with Martha Wells, author of The Murderbot Diaries, which is published by our friends at Tor.com. Martha, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Once again, I would like to thank Martha Wells for joining me. Copies of Fugitive Telemetry can be ordered at www.quailridgebooks.com 
with free shipping for members of Readers Club Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get the one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.